Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to Sandbox Radio Live and our Halloween episode for 2019, Witch Hunt, recorded in front of a live audience at Town Hall Seattle on October 13th. It featured writing from Sandboxers Scott Augustin, Brendan Healy, and Elizabeth Heffron, our favorite poet, Damon Arundel, and musical guests, the delightful Teresa Holmes and Ed Key. So sit back, relax, and get ready for the spooky goodness of Sandbox Radio Witch Hunt, featuring music direction by Jose Juicy Gonzalez. Sandbox Radio, we'll stay all day in the backyard, we'll play. And kings, words become things. Sandbox radio. Sandbox radio. Sandbox radio. Sandbox radio. Good evening. Brendan Healy, Elizabeth Heffron, Anita Montgomery, and more. With an appearance by Sandbox Radio's favorite poet, Damon Arundel. A story from the delightful Lisa Helper. Teresa Holmes and Ed Key! Plus, all your favorite Sandbox Radio players! And music from the Sandbox Radio Orchestra, led by our maestro and composer, Jose Juicy Gonzalez. So, sit back and relax as we take you into the world of Sandbox Radio Live. Sandbox Radio. children and put down the phone hear you the legend of old bondage bone a big and a blustery nasty ass fella mushroom gray skin and teeth all a yellow miserly and mean breath smelling of dung this is his song and it shall be sung a bully by nature a farmer by trade but his crops never thrive planted in shade he come up with a scheme that would make him quite rich but he made a grave error when he pissed off a witch Derry down 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 Derry down it was a fine crisp autumn day 
when old Brundage Bone walked into the local pub, known as the Randy Swan, and called out to the proprietor. <laughs> Matt! Matt's Ram boy! I've no reason to live, so you might as well pour me a pint. Brundage, what's got you so kicked in the teeth? It's damn near harvest. I'll be lucky to get 20 scant bushels of rye. Oh, that's because your land lies on the dark side of the valley. What you need is a sunny spot for your crops. And how the bastard baby Jesus do I do that? Well, hmm. Oh, you know, last year... Lucius Carbuncle went to the farm upwind of his meager acres to call on his neighbor, Betsy Pandowdy. Morning, Betsy. Morning, Lucius. What brings you to my door? I want your farm. <laughs> yeah, and I want my cows to squirt whiskey from their teeth. Mistress Pandowdy, you'll sell your farm to me cheap, or I'll denounce you as a sorceress in bed with the devil. <laughs> well, feck me sideways to Sunday. So, Mads, you're saying... The widow Churndash has some fine sunny acres just to the south of you. <laughs> Twas well after nightfall when the widow Churndash was wakened by a banging on her front door. Who rouses an old woman from her troubled slumber? Widow Churndash! It's me, your neighbor, Rundit Bone. Come in, Bone. The fire's gone cold, so I've no coffee to offer you. I've been meaning to ask, what happened to your husband? There never was a Mr. Churndash. But you're known as a widow. All men are dead to me. <laughs> Well, uh, I won't beat the bush around. Uh, give me your farm or I'll falsely accuse you of being a witch. You can't do that, Brundage Bone. Oh, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. <laughs> I meant you can't falsely accuse me of witchcraft because I am, in fact, a witch. <laughs> Just give me the deed and be gone from these parts, else you'll burn at the stake, Churndash. You can take the farm, Bone, but you'll never be rid of me. Every step you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. In a cloud of smoke, thick and mannish, the Churndash witch, she did vanish. <laughs> Huh. Well, happy to be done with that old crow. Ah! <laughs> ah! 
But as Brundage Bone made his way home, he heard the sound of laughter coming from a withered old willow. <laughs> what sort of game does some knave play? Show yourself! And then the tree bark began to swim about like a loose school of fishies and settled into the face of the witch! <laughs> WTF! Always with you, Farmer Bone! <laughs> Soon enough, Brundage Bone had snatched up the Churndash land and with his newfound prosperity, caught himself a young wife. Abigail. <sighs> she was a pious thing who loved to spend her time in prayer. Oh, dear father, hear your humble servant. <laughs> Brundage figured a little extra holiness in the house couldn't hurt when there was the chance of black magic afoot. Husband, would you care to sing a hymn of praise with me? Perhaps later, my dear. After a time, since Brundage had seen no sightings of the sorceress, he came to believe her threats were idle. Ha! Nothing to fear. There's no witch round here. I, for one, am in the clear. Careful, Brundage. I am quite near. What? And there above him, on a birch branch perched, a wee tit. <laughs> Which is a sort of bird. Okay. The wee bird looked like any other wee bird, except that it had the wee head of an old woman! Oh, Jesus Christ, and a cranberry bog! <laughs> Which is just as disturbing as you think it would be. <laughs> Brundage's horse. Did I mention Brundage was on horseback? can be such a careless narrator sometimes. I once narrated an entire story about a goose and a haberdasher's apprentice without ever telling anybody that the goose was actually a princess. So anyway, uh, Rex, the haberdasher's apprentice, actually went up to the Weasel King. Excuse me. Whose tale are you telling? You've left me unstranded on the back of a horse. Right. Brundage's steed reared up in fear. Oh, its oh, front hooves lifted up easy. the grooves of the path. Oh. So frightened it was of the witch's wrath. It bucked up its oh, flanks, oh, and oh. that miserable bone found that from his saddle he had been thrown. Oh, <laughs> oh Becky, you cowardly old nag. I'll walk from home. He walked and grew thirsty. So he bent down to the creek. Oh, but the water swirled like a clutch of naughty eels and formed the face of the witch. And then watery hands reached up to pull him down. I'm getting closer and closer, Brundage Bone. Get back, you filthy hag. I'll have my sweet farm back ere the corn grows high. No, you won't, you she-devil. <laughs> 
Brundage Bone ran through the woods. All around him, the things of this world called out to him. The rock. Brundage. The hive of bees. Brundage Bone. Mushrooms. All manner of stuff and junk. Brundage Bone was almost home. He ran through his front garden and flew into the house, bolting the thick oak door behind him. Why? Why? Dear husband, are ye all right? Oh, I am ready to pray with ye, my love. I am so very ready to join you in prayer. Oh, this fills my faithful and obedient heart with joy. Kneel beside me. And Brundage knelt beside his young bride. Oh, father, it is your meek and loving servant, Abigail. And I say with a willing heart, Hail Satan and all his dog demons! Abigail! What the feck? Oh, my dear helpmate. Surely you didn't think I was praying to the ridiculous Christian God. Not while I was here. So very close to you. And she reached to her face <laughs> and pulled back her skin. <laughs> revealing the witch! Hidden within! Oh, no! Oh, yes! <laughs> they found Brundage's hide and clumps of his hair. Most of his guts were laid out on the stair. On the dining room table there sat his left lung. In a dish with some butter, his dirty old tongue. Out by the pretty were his nipples and lips Stretched on the loom were the sad from his hips Stretched on the loom were his sinews and veins Way in the barn was a bucket of brains They searched every field, hilltop and valley They asked every Tom, every Richard and Sally Swept the damp marshes where lonely cranes mated but nary a one of Bones, Bones was located. Derry down, 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 Derry Being a person is a funny thing. 
There are so many rules that tell you how you're supposed to look, how you're supposed to live, and how you're supposed to feel about your own experiences. And these arbitrary rules, they reign supreme, right? But come on. I'd like to know what genius decided that mustaches on girls are a bad thing. I mean, who decided that gray hair and wrinkles are unattractive rather than the signs of a life well-lived? Was it the same person who decided eight items or less is the right amount of groceries to get on the express line? <laughs> I mean, really? Has anyone ever actually met these people? Sure, yes. I follow the rules that keep me alive and out of jail, but you gotta admit, it seems likely that whoever they are, they created these rules to keep us busy doing dumb things, <laughs> like waxing our mustaches, coloring our gray hair, and waiting on the slow line while they, I don't know, take over the universe. <laughs> Not that I'm paranoid or anything. Yeah, well, rules can be tricky. Case in point, there's this news story stuck in my head. It was about a man who took lessons so he could jump out of an airplane. The day came for his big jump. He jumped. They say his body made a four-foot deep hole in the cement where he landed. So what happened? He took lessons. They taught him when and how to jump. They taught him how to reach for that parachute pull cord on his flight suit. They drilled him and drilled him until he was ready. So what happened? He reached for that parachute pull cord like he was supposed to do, but it wasn't there. They didn't teach him what to do if it wasn't there. So the guy scratched a huge hole where that pull cord was supposed to be. His brain freaked. He was grabbing and scratching on the wrong side of the suit. The wrong side. Some days are like that, you know? And that totally freaks me out. So I have come up with lots of ways to cope. For starters, I talk to myself. I catch myself talking out loud sometimes. Right in the middle of a big conversation that I'm having with myself, I see someone trying not to notice the sort of normal looking psycho talking to herself. <laughs> Usually I laugh, <laughs> trying to let them know I'm not really psycho at all, but the laughing I do ends up being proof positive that I am a psycho. Like I just told myself a psycho joke and I'm having a psycho laugh about it. What are you gonna do? Once in a while though, I get inspired and I don't just talk to myself. Oh no, I go for the big guns. I talk directly to the big psycho in the sky. Although I, I don't usually call her that to her face. No, no, usually I'm, I'm pretty polite. On this particular day, I'm walking up the street. The sun is shining. The air is perfect. 
And I'm saying thank you, thank you for giving me the ability to enjoy this day, for arms that work and legs that work, for a mind that thinks, for the people in my world who I love and who love me. I feel lucky. Talking to the big psycho, it's something my mom always did. It's not a religious thing, no, it's, it's kind of corny, but it turns out it actually feels good and it fits right in with my pre-existing psycho veneer, so there is that. I get on the bus and I enjoy the ride. Everyone on the bus seems unusually clean and friendly and gentle and human. Everything I see out the window is fall colors and blue sky. At some point during the ride, the weather totally changes. Now it's raining hard. And of course, I didn't bring an umbrella. I get off the bus, I pull my jacket close, and I walk briskly towards work. The rain bugs me. No way my hair is going to survive this. Now, everyone I pass seems cold and annoyed and irritating. As I'm about to turn the corner, I see two legs sticking out of the bushes. Looks like a drunk, probably sleeping it off. Now, it's like the shine is rubbed off the day, whatever was left of the shine anyway, because I have to admit that I'm a selfish hypocrite for thanking God for all my luck and then trying to sneak past a sleeping person who I've labeled a drunk because I'm scared and don't want to give him a quarter. Now, it's practically like I've got a relationship going with the guy. I can't just ignore him. I feel obligated to make sure he's okay. I'm still gonna say no to money if he asks, but at least this way I can feel better about myself for treating him like a human being. I take the plunge. He's half in the bushes, so I kneel down and I see he's, he's passed out, face down in a mud puddle. He's breathing. Well, now I'm in this moral dilemma. Do I move him out of the puddle? God, if I had just done what all those other people walking by had done, I wouldn't have looked at him in the first place. Okay, okay, here we go. I try to roll him over. He's heavy. When I finally do, I realize it's a woman. Why did I think it was a man? And she's young, mid-twenties, with mud and sawdust on her face. She opens her eyes like a baby. And she says really sweetly, hi. Hi, I say. You okay? Yeah, yeah, I have a cold, she says. The flu, I think. I was waiting for the bus and I got dizzy. I'm pregnant. Whoa. I ask her how she feels. And she tells, she tells me she feels okay. And I tell her everything's going to be okay. She takes my hand and says, my husband, he's a teacher at the college. I don't know why she told me that. Probably because she psychically knew I had labeled and judged her and hoped I'd be completely humiliated. I was. 
I get her into an upright position and she passes out in my arms. Now I'm scared. I yell for help. Someone walking by calls 911. She's alert again by the time the medics get there. I tell them she's fine as long as she's lying down, but every time she sits up, she passes out. They ask her all these questions, and I'm thinking, get her out of the rain. Finally, they put her in the ambulance. I squeeze her hand. She feels, she feels like an old friend. I want my husband, she tells me. I get his number. I tell her I'll call him. He'll be right behind you, okay? You're in really, really good hands now. She thanks me and melts my heart with a big, sweet smile. Next is the phone call from hell. Her husband's secretary refuses to disturb his class. I'm sorry, the bitch says. No, I'm sorry. His pregnant wife was passed out face down in a puddle. He's gonna want to know this. Oh, it's just impossible for me to interrupt his class, she says. Can you call back in 10 minutes? No, no, I really can't. Look, he'll forgive you. I swear to God, lady, he'll thank you. Well, ma'am, he always comes back to his office after class, and class ends in 10 minutes. So really, I can take a message, but that's all I can do. I wait. Five huge minutes pass, then 10. I can't stand it any longer. Hi, me again. Yeah, I, I know this is irregular, but you have to go get him. And if he gives you any problem, I swear, I'll take the blame. I am so embarrassed, she says. I forgot he has lunch after this class, so he actually won't be back for an hour now. No, 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 I don't care if you have to go running all over campus, you have got to go find him. I don't know. Maybe I was overreacting. All I know is, if I was sick and pregnant, I'd want my person with me. I just wanted to keep my promise to Elizabeth. That's her name, Elizabeth. Finally, he calls. I tell him what hospital she's at. He thanks me and hangs up. I feel kind of good now. You know, it's like I'm all related to them. Oh, maybe they'll name the baby after me. <laughs> God, I love happy endings. I love happy endings, and it is so cool being part of one, you know? My workday goes super slowly. I really want to check in on Elizabeth. Luckily, a friend of mine knows somebody who works at that hospital, so she calls to see if Elizabeth has gone home yet. We're put on hold. We wait. I hate waiting. It makes me nervous. We wait some more. I just wanted to say hello to her, but I, I didn't get to. Her husband never got to say goodbye. Aneurysm. Sometimes I pass that spot where we had our relationship. And if I'm in a lofty mood, I think, I'm glad it was me who was with her. She could have died alone in a puddle. I think about that conversation 
that I had that day with the big psycho in the sky, grateful for all my luck and all my joy. Mom says she thinks God put me there, picked me to be with Elizabeth, to give her warmth and love and encouraging words. Most days, though, I just wonder. Lisa Halpern.
trombone. Sir. This afternoon, day eight after the hotly contested election results, protests continue to roil out our nation's capital, with casualties reported as now reaching 178 since election day, with over 2,000 injuries and multiple arrests. The latest tweet from a defiant president encouraging his supporters to question the legitimacy of the election results comes immediately after the ele president-elect calls once again for his concession to the will of the electorate. In a statement on the newly launched federal Reality News Channel, the Attorney General of the United States, in the face of what he calls the intractability of the Joint Chiefs of the United States military to take action against an unruly mob, is bypassing the Justice Department. In response to repeated calls from a beleaguered president for U.S. Marshals to stand down and supporters around the nation to, quote, exercise their Second Amendment rights and stand up for the common man. Two, four, six, eight, we demand you abdicate. Two, four, six, eight, we demand you abdicate. Two, four, six, eight, we demand you abdicate. Ah! Honey, get away from the window. I'm just looking to see if they're still out there. Who? Nobody, honey. It's a boogeyman coming to get ya. <laughs> Mom? Knock it off, Jed. It wasn't your dad's car, was it? Well, no. I couldn't see much, but it wasn't his car. There's nobody out there. Yeah, there was earlier. Who? Nobody, honey. Nobody, Bubba. Nobody's out there. Kylie's just being creative. There was. Drove up, idled a bit, then took off. I heard it again. The sissy's hearing shit. Well, shut up, Jed. You shut up, sissy. Shut up. Both of you, stop it. You're sure it wasn't your dad? Well, it's pretty dark with the street light out, but it definitely didn't sound like dad's car. Anyway, why would he pull up and then just leave again? I don't know. Maybe he forgot something. I don't know. What time is it? Oh, my God. Bubba, come on, honey. Let's get you back to bed. You said I could stay up till daddy got home. Where's daddy? He'll be home soon. He probably needed a drink. After Kylie's performance in school today, he needed to let people know that most of his family's not traitors and freaks. Jed, you're making me tired. Stop, please. Shh. Listen. You're right. That doesn't sound like his car. Come on, Bubba, let's get you to bed. I don't want to. I want to stay here. It's after midnight. It's almost one, Mom. But can't you call him? I... You really don't know where he is, do you? I told you where he is, trying to fix your mess. Is this about the thing at school with that teacher? Quiet, honey. How did you hear about that, Bubba? Well, Jed said... Jed, you shouldn't be filling your little brother's head I just with... told him what happened. He would have heard it from somebody else anyway. A lot of people saw it. Still. He deserved what he got anyway. That's not true. What they did was wrong. See, Kylie, here was his star student. Well, they, they, they could have just fired him. They didn't have to put handcuffs on him. He didn't break the law. And they sure as hell didn't need to beat him up like that. Animals. He should sue the school. Oh, I don't think he's going to be suing anybody. I don't think he's going to be doing much of anything for a long time. Jed, that's enough. 
I can go look for Dad. No one is going anywhere except to bed. I know where he is. He's at City Hall. Where? And I'm not going to bed. I'm not sleeping in the same room as this faggot. Jed, stop He's it. He's a faggot and a traitor. Fuck you, Jed. Mom, God, Kyle, he's me. Sick. I'll kick your ass. Kyle, Jed, Jed stop it. Both of you. <gasps> Mom, what, what's that? Probably just some partiers out on the street. I may be a faggot, but I am not a traitor. Yeah, you are. Boys, he lost the election, Jed. He needs to There's step gonna be down. a recount. Yeah, recount? It wasn't close. He lost by almost 10 million votes. He even lost in the electoral college. It was too close to call, and it was rigged. They kept the polls open yeah, be, after they were supposed yeah, to because close. Because people were being prevented from getting to them. He probably would have lost by even more. Oh, bullshit. And a bunch of absentee ballots were stolen. That's a lie. But it's not. Mama, did Dad say he was going to City Hall? No, but that's where people are going. What people? Just people. He means that militia group. I mean the free people of the United States of America. What do you know about them, Jed? Everybody knows about them. Everybody who? I don't know about them. Ah, uh, come on. Sure you do. They're just trying to make sure folks are safe. They're trying to prevent the election from standing. And that's where you think your father is? They're trying to make sure people like Kyle don't get to tell the rest of us what to do. People like me? Why do you think your father is there? There was a meeting over there tonight, I think. I know that. I just don't know why your father would be a part of it. Well, I don't know. Oh, sure you do, Jed. You're a junior member, right? What? Shut up. Mama? What you are doing is illegal. Mama? You don't know shit, queer boy. Watch your mouth. Oh, Mama, I think there's somebody in our backyard. I'll go see. No, all of you stay right here. Mama, don't go. I'm not going anywhere, honey. I'm just checking the back door. I'll be right back. Kyle, take care of your brother. Do you really think Dad's there? I know he's there. I saw him earlier tonight. I don't believe you. He wouldn't join that group. Why not? Because he's, he's not the kind he's of- He's tired of being pushed around. He doesn't want to go back. Back to what? Back to being nobody. Back to having no say in anything. Jed, don't be stupid. What are you talking about? Stupid? See, there you go. You think you're so much better than me. Smart sissy boy going to college. Well, you're an embarrassment to this family, to this country, to our father. You don't know that. No? Having a faggot for a son? Turning this one into one too? You're disgusting. What they did to Mr. Katz was disgusting. They're cowards. They're patriots. <sighs> Ma, why do you have Dad's gun? Mama! There are two men in our backyard. Do you know them? Could you see who they are? No, I don't know. It was too dark. They had hats on or, or something. I cocked the gun and they ran. Oh, probably some of your friends, huh, Jed? What are you talking about, Jed? What's going on? Jed's joined the vigilantes. Jed! It's the free people of the United States, not a vigilante group. The free people? Are you kidding me? That's not freedom, Jed. See, that's where you're wrong. You're the one who's not free, dreaming about being a big shot, joining some special elite club. It ain't never gonna happen, Kyle. You just think you're better than everybody, but you're not. I don't think I'm better than you. I just disagree with yeah, you. Yeah, you do, but you're not better than me. You're weak, and you're scared, and, and you know what? I'm not scared. You're right. I am scared. You should be scared, too. You'd like that, wouldn't you? Look, 
I just want to get out of here, Jed. I don't want to cause any trouble. But you have caused trouble. You've embarrassed and humiliated your family, no. your father. No, Dad would he would he never. what? He lives here. These are his people. He needed to make a choice about where his loyalties are. What do you mean, Jed, that he needed to make a choice? Nothing. Where's your father, Jed? I swear to God, if you know what's happening. Is that Daddy? I'm gonna look. No, Bubba, let's just wait and see. I have a shotgun and I know how to use it. Ma, they aren't coming for you. They're here for- What? What did you just say to me? I'll get it. No! Jed, do not open that door! Daddy! Oh. My. God. Dad? October, and time to think about frost on the pumpkins, hot apple cider, children dressed as hobos or a princess, and of course, the zombie apocalypse. Much of the time we leave ourselves unprepared. Too much candy corn, not enough Snickers. Snickers! Forgetting to add antifreeze to the family car, or the simple precaution of keeping a baseball bat or a tire iron by the front door for brain whacking. We only need look to films and TV to see that the zombie population is on the rise. <laughs> you see how I did that? Rise. <laughs> we know now, despite the massive government cover-up, the causes of zombies are a rampant misuse of chemical preservatives, overprescribed drugs, and pesticides. A food source tainted by steroids, antibiotics, and more pesticides. And the election of Donald J. Trump. Love it. Some may be asking, why the zombie spike in the fall? It's the elections and the politician zombies it brings. Fueled by a need for power, greed, and the compulsion to hear oneself talk. Since 45 became president, the U.S. is thick with this political blight on humanity, and we must be vigilant. When giving candy, be prepared with plenty of the good stuff and a chainsaw at the ready. Trick or treat! Oh my, don't you all look scary. <laughs> Ooh, oh my. Build a wall! Build a wall! Oh, you are a scary one. So, we'd better head off that zombie horde with plenty of head removal tools at the ready. Stash discreetly like this prepared mom. Here you go. <laughs> now. 
was I? Okay, who needs sugar-free? Are there any peanut allergies? <laughs> Halloween doesn't have to be really scary if we remember to keep our heads. This has not been a public service announcement by ZombieGeekWatch.org and the League of Women Voters. Spices. <laughs> I can't tell you how nice it is to move to a, a neighborhood where there are actually women and children at home all day. And people gardening and weaving and making mead. <laughs> We're glad you're here, Shirlene. And we can't wait to meet your husband, too. He's been away on such a long business trip. Bill's in international construction. Travel, bulldozers, and phone calls. So it's lucky he still remembers the kids. <laughs> but we can't complain. It means we could afford to live in such a special suburb. East Issaquah does have its charm. <laughs> Salmon of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and thank you for lending us this gorgeous, Table. It's so, uh, I don't know, massive and sensual. It just draws you in. Mm. Made from 1,000-year-old living wood. Such a crime when the tree was felled and callously ripped from the grove. But we managed to save it, fashion it into something what it is. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's so seductive. I just have this urge to lay on top of it and roll around. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a common reaction. We like to lend it to every new family who moves here, a sort of welcome gift. <laughs> welcome! <laughs> Yeah, no, look, Sal, we gave them more than enough time. Construction starts Tuesday. End of discussion. No, no, no. It's not a wetland, remember? We had that designation changed. Well, I had Ted do it. Ted. <laughs> you don't want to know the details. Daddy, 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 Daddy! <laughs> Timmy, Tanya, toots. Go out and work on the bonfires. Your father's on the phone. Oh. Look, I, I gotta go, Sal. I just got home. East Issaquah. Yeah, yeah, well, we moved. It's, uh, 
Look, I, I, got, I gotta go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See you Monday. Bill, welcome home. Shirlene, what the heck are you wearing? Oh, you like it? Imbolc sews. She made it. It's so flowy and sexy. It's flowy, all right. <laughs> Bill, these are our new neighbors. Hi, I'm Lunissa. Hello? And my name's Imbolc. Imbolc? As in, in bulk? You're a funny one, Bill. A real salmon of wisdom. <laughs> what? We better be going. I'll stop by with the mead recipe later, Shirlene. Peace to all beings. <laughs> yes, see you then. Peace! <sighs> wow, they are so great. First day, me and the kids drove down Druidwood Lane with the moving truck, Imbolc was right here to greet us, along with Lunasa and Sawin and a couple of the other ladies. They're just the best, and they make all this stuff by hand. Yeah, but where are the men? I, I didn't see a single car in any of the driveways along the street. Oh, they're, uh, they're really working hard to be in tune with nature to keep a better balance, you know? Imbolc says they all walk the eight-fold path. All the way to I-5? <laughs> oh, well, what about their husbands? How should I know? They're probably at conferences or something. Actually, a lot of them seem to be divorced. Figures. Sit down, honey. I'll bring you some mead. <laughs> Can we light it now? Can we, can we, can oh, we please? not yet. Oh. We need to wait till sundown. Oh, Pucky. We can't light it yet! <laughs> oh. What is going on out there? It's Beltane. We're building the twin bonfires. Twin bonfires? Now relax, Bill. Every neighborhood has its quirks. Beltane is just this fun, lunar holiday that honors fertility and adolescence and good fortune. Everybody on Druidwood Lane celebrates it. No big deal. Mom! Mom, what about the cows? <laughs> Timmy, just stop. Wait, is it time for the cows? No, it's not time for the cows. You heard what the lady said. You have to wait till they blow that horn. Now oh. go outside. Okay. What the hell is going on, Charlene? Oh, Bill. I don't know how to explain it all, but... I'm changing, and the kids are changing. Now just sit down and relax, and I'll pour you that mead. All right, but Jesus! Where did this table come from? <laughs> Isn't it something? It's half the size of the goddamn living room. The neighborhood lends it to every new family that moves in. Look under here, son of a bitch. What? Aren't tables only supposed to have four legs? How come this thing's got so many? Hmm, I hadn't noticed those before. So gnarled and twisted. Yeah, they almost look human. Did you hear that? What? This table is giving me the creeps. <laughs> oh, honey, don't be ridiculous. Redress. What? What? The table just spoke. Okay. It did. It said, well, I don't know what it said, but it, I, I, I want it gone. Bill. Send it along to the next sucker. Bill, 
Do you know how many tons this thing weighs? It took 12 women and an incantation to get it in here. It's not going anywhere. So, here, honey, sit down. Get comfortable. That's right. Try the mead. To us. To East Issaquah. Whatever. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, the mead's good at any rate. Redress. <laughs> it just spoke again. to go around. You can all send the cattle between the bonfires. Yay! What's the deal with the cattle, Charlene? Well, don't get mad. But while you were gone, we might have bought a small herd. You did what? Hey, neighbor! It's the gold of Beltane. Let's light those bonfires. Yay! Oh, hello, Bill. I see you're sitting at the table. Look, Embolk, Lunasa, if it's okay with you, could you take the kids and the cows and start without us? It's been a long time, and I think Bill and I need to talk. Whatever will bring balance, Shirlene. Okay, kids, who's got the matches? I don't like that lady. What a surprise. Where the hell are we, Shirlene? East Issaquah. I, you know what I mean. Where the hell are we? What's going on? Bill, something weird's going on with the Earth. Oh, please. Uh, or the Earth Mother or the Great Spirit. I don't know. I hate it when you start up with this bullshit. The world is screwed up. You know it is. I doubt East Issaquah's the answer, Shirley. Maybe not. But everything here on Druidwood Lane, the bonfires, the cattle, the weaving, it all speaks to me. Can you understand that? Yeah, yeah, here's what I understand. You've eaten the fruitcake, drunk the Kool-Aid. Mommy, mommy, mommy. What about the lamb? Can I run the lamb between the bonfires, please? Oh, baby. The lamb was sacrificed last night, remember? Okay, that's enough. Redress! What, what the hell? I, I, I can't... Can't get out of your chair? The, the damn table has some kind of magnetic pull. My, my, my legs are, are twisting, freezing up. They said you'd never understand. My hands! My hands are, are melting into the table! I let go of the mug, Bill. Call 911! Why? They would only come and destroy this table. Now I can celebrate every part of the Eightfold Wheel, participate in any woo-woo thing I want, and not feel your scorn. Do your help, Shirley! Oh, don't see it as death, Bill. It's really just a short stay in the other world, until you're reincarnated. You it. Bye-bye, baby. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Charlene, we're starting! Oh, coming! Eightfold wheel! Eightfold wheel! Happy Beltane, everybody! Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Teresa Holmes and Ed King. And I once lived a congelated not so long ago in New Orleans, Louisiana, named Marie Laveau. Believe that I'm not a strange as it seems. She made a fortune selling voodoo and interpreting dreams. She was known throughout the nation as the voodoo queen. Folks come to her from miles and miles around. She sure knew how to put that voodoo down. From all over they would come to the voodoo's door. The rich, the educated, the ignorant and the poor. Well, she'd snap her fingers and then she'd shake her head. She'd tell them about their lovers, living or dead. Now, an old, old lady by the name of Widow Brown, well, she asked, why did her lover stop coming round? The voodoo gazed at a crystal ball and squawked, uh oh. I seen him kissing a young girl down at Shakespeare's Hall. Don't you cry, I'll make him come back by and by. Now sprinkle a little of this snake dust all over your floor. Friday morning, the rooster crows. Oh, Marie Laveau, 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 the little queen who went down yonder. Stuffed with feathers and shucks from a corn. A big black candle, black candle. and a catfish fin. Did a man get religion and give up his sin? Now sad news got out one morning round the break of day. Marie Laveau had done passed away. In St. Louis Cemetery, she lays in the tomb. She was buried at night. 
listening to Sandbox Radio. Subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. Tickets on sale now at brownpapertickets.com for our New Year's Eve Eve show coming up at Town Hall Seattle on December 30th. Don't miss our end-of-the-year blowout, Sandbox Radio, Journey's End, featuring holiday treats like writing from Rich Gray, tons of music from maestro Angie Louise, Soprano Megan Renee Parker and the drunken tenor Rob McPherson, and the return of our most popular guest ever, Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best. Now, back to Witch Hunt. Radio's Vermin Notes. The radio program dedicated to the filthy creatures with whom we share this world. If you live in Seattle, you've probably noticed an uptick in the rabbit population. <laughs> and these fuzzy jumpers really put the tick in uptick. A rabbit's body is swarming with dozens of varieties of ticks ready to infect you with an all-you-can-eat buffet of debilitating diseases. Including, but not limited to, Bezos Syndrome, Durkin Disorder, the Chihuly Chills, I'm an Eye. The list goes on and on. With or without a sturdy fence, a rabbit will eat your tomatoes, your lettuce, your carrots, your kale. I, I, I mean, kale is disgusting, but yeah. it's the principle. F those hippity-hoppity produce pilferers. Their Latin name is Silviligus Natalii, but that doesn't stop them from running willy-nilly into the street, causing hundreds of traffic fatalities every week in the Puget Sound region. <laughs> When you run over a bunny, it sounds like this. <laughs> Rabbit urine is one of Heloise's five impossible stains. Mm-hmm. If a rabbit pees on you, just throw your clothes away. Or to be on the safe side, burn them. Rabbits are notorious for having lots of sex. (laughs) 
Which is uncomfortable to explain to children. But the worst thing a rabbit can do is not to invade your garden. But to invade your dreams. That's right. A bunny will crawl in your ear at night and head straight for your hippocampus. Burrowing its way to your subconscious. We sent Becky, our unpaid intern, out to talk to some victims of rabbit dream invasion. I dreamt last night that I was back in my high school nutrition class. Ms. Drakowski explained that the food pyramid was bullshit. Raw vegetables were the way to go. And then she and I had had sex on a Louis XIV settee. I don't know why I dreamed that. I'm gay. I was at the beach. My dead Aunt Mary was making a sandcastle out of cottage cheese. All the lifeguards had rabbit heads, but not cute Easter bunny rabbits. More like scary watership down rabbits. For lifeguards, they didn't seem too concerned for the safety of the swimmers. They kept urging us to go further and further out into the waves. Then, I had sex with my Aunt Mary. Last night, I dreamed that it was the middle of winter, and I was lost in a snowstorm, and there was this scary rabbit. Hey! Rachel! Come here! Down your rabbit hole? It's called a warren, Rachel. A rabbit warren. Now get down here. Okay. Now I'm gonna cuddle you. And give you tea. And read you some goddamn Emily Dickinson poetry. Why would you do that? It's winter. Yes. Well, you need comfort to get through the goddamn winter. It's called Hugh. It's Danish. Drink your goddamn tea and cuddle this goddamn rabbit. And then I had sex with my Aunt Mary. <laughs> Which is weird. I don't have an Aunt Mary. Don't leave your windows open at night or risk rabbit dreams. Madness will surely follow. <laughs> and if you have a baby, avoid the temptation to name them Tularemia. That's the name of a horrible disease transmitted by rabbits. It's sometimes called rabbit fever. It's nasty. And we won't tell you the symptoms just in case you're eating. Until next time, this has been Sandbox Radio's Vermin Notes. The program that celebrates the delightfully vile world around you. Just two tickets, 
Test your strength. Cracker Jack and cotton candy. Satisfy your sweet tooth or satisfy your sweetie. How about you there, young man? Test your strength. Gosh, I don't know. Oh, go on, Danny. Two whole tickets, you say, mister? I'll tell you what, young fellow. First swing's free. Impress the little lady here. See if you can make that bell ring. Well, okay then. I'll give it a shot. All right then. Here you go. Give it a great big swing. Congratulations, kid. Now put in your two tickets and do that again, and you can win a prize for the young lady. Oh, would you like that, Sally? We've got ten tickets. Oh, no need for that. You already impressed me. Let's save our tickets for something else. Golly. I wish I could have afforded more than just ten tickets for you. Oh, don't worry about that. I'm just so thrilled to be here. The carnival (laughs) never stopped in my old town. I've always wanted to go, but never have. So you really like it so far? I was nervous it wouldn't make such a good impression for a first date. Oh, no, this is the swellest first date ever. It feels so nice to be welcomed in a new town. Step right up. What will the world be like in 50 years? Witness life in the year 2005 in the Hall of the Future! Wow! <laughs> Just think of it! 2005! <laughs> Can you imagine what the world would be like then, Danny? Well, that all depends on whether the Ruskies have their way. <laughs> so, what do you say, Sally? Want to see the hall of the future? (laughs) Or get some cotton candy? Anything you want. That's what we'll do. Until we run out of tickets, that is. Uh, Let's see. Uh, What do you suppose that is down there? That old thing at the other end of the midway? I don't know. Well, let's go look and find out. Looks pretty run down, doesn't it? That man doesn't even seem to be trying to get anyone's attention. Maybe it isn't open. Let's ask. Excuse me, sir. Is this attraction open? Oh, yes. The witch's den is always open to those who dare to walk inside. The witch's den? What's that, like some sort of haunted house? Oh, you might could say that, except it ain't a house. It's a den. <laughs> and there aren't no ghosts. There be witches. Oh, sounds a little scary to me. Oh, I'm sure you'd be plenty taken care of with such a strong young man like this fella here by your side. Oh. And the toll is just one ticket per person. What do you think, Sally? Could be fun. And if you get a little spooked, you can just hold on to me. That's so, huh? Oh, it's nothing fresh. Just so you feel safe is all. And you promise you'll stay close in case I get scared? I'll stay as close as you like. I promise. All right, then. Here you go, mister. Two tickets. Just step right up and through these doors here. Enjoy your time in the witch's den. But don't say I didn't warn you, Danny and Sally. (laughs) What a swell old guy. 
He said he warned us. But he didn't warn us about anything, did he? Danny, how did he know our names? Golly, he did say our names, didn't he? Well, I suppose it's some sort of carnival trick. Like all those psychics and fortune tellers and stuff. They don't really know anything. It's all a trick. It's a pretty good trick. Maybe we shouldn't do this. You want to leave? I think so. Anything you say. The, the door won't open. Oh, Danny. Must be a one-way kind of ride. I tell you what. Let's just go through it. The sooner we start, the sooner we'll come out the other side. Okay. It's awfully dark, isn't it? It sure is. I think I see a bit of light up ahead. Must be the first part of the attraction. Come on! What is that? Is that a gingerbread house? More like a woodcut-out house. Hello, little girl. Oh. Oh. Little boy. Oh, you startled us. No need to be scared. Come in. Come in. Have some sweets. Candy. Oh, I get it. Like from the nursery story, Hansel and Gretel. Come in. Stay for a while. We can bake something hot, fat, and delicious in the oven. <laughs> no, I think we'll just keep moving along. Thanks. I think this whole thing is going to be stuff like that. Just silly. Nothing scary at all. I hope you're right. What's this one? Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire, burn, and cauldron bubble. Fillet of a thinny snake in the cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog. Wool of bat and tongue of dog. Ew. It's actually Shakespeare. So it's okay. It's literature. For a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble. Let's keep moving, Danny, and get to the end. Sure thing, Sally. Come on. By the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. If you ask me, those witches look pretty fake. They seem pretty real to me. Ah, uh, it's all for fun, Sally. Don't worry. We'll be through this in no time. Oh, golly, Danny. Here's another one. You can hold on to my arm if you like, if you think it will help. Thank you. Witches, wives of Satan, midwives of malevolence. Oh, Danny, that young man tied down to the table there looks like he's really bleeding. It does look more realistic than the last thing we saw. I'll give you that. We gather together to perform our most sacred rite. As we do every harvest time, we make this sacrifice so that we may replenish our sisterhood, our spirits, and our strength. That woman isn't actually hurting him, is she? But this is all for fun. It's a carnival, remember? See, the guy on the altar isn't breathing. He's just a dummy. Oh, but her knife looks so real and so sharp. For hundreds of centuries, we have lured innocent victims into our den so that we can make use of their bodies to better work our charms and renew our covenants. And of course, 
feast! Oh, let's hurry, Danny, please! You don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> that one didn't seem at all like the others, did it, Danny? It seemed so real. Remember, you can stay as close to me as you like, and it will all be over soon. You hear that? What? Sounded like there's someone following us. It did kind of, didn't it? Trying to scare us? Yeah, scare us. Come on. I definitely hear it too. Sounds like a lot of people. Let's hurry. What's that up ahead? I can't make it out. It's so dark. Is it? Oh no. It's just like the one before. Not exactly. It looks similar, but there isn't any dummy on the altar in this one. No witch, either. Those people again, coming toward us. Sounds like they're coming from all around us. Hello, little girl, little boy. Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire, burn, and cauldron, bubble. Okay, a joke's a joke. But that's enough now! We gather tonight to perform our most sacred Just rite. quit it, all right? You're scaring my date. Sally doesn't look scared to us, Danny. Let us out of here right now. We want to leave. Why would you want to leave now, Danny? Because these carnival freaks are taking it too far. Don't be scared, Danny. You... you aren't scared? Why would I be? when I have such a strong, young man beside me. Sally, where'd you get that knife? By the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. We make use of your body to work our charms and renew our covenants, and of course, we can bake something hot. Why are you moving away from me, Danny? Stay close. No more fooling, Sally. Stay back with that thing. It looks sharp, for real. But you promised to stay as close as I wanted. Keep your promise. Stay close to me now. I mean it. Get back. Don't resist the knife, Danny. Remember what you told me? The sooner we start, the sooner we'll come out of the other side. <laughs> Sally! Thank you. For taking me to the carnival, Danny. It's so nice to feel welcome in a new town. This has been an important message intended to educate the American youth about the dangers of communism, feminism, and marijuana. This is the U.S. government in association with your local PTA saying good night and stay away from the Mary Jane, all you Marys out there, or else the Ruskies win. Sponsored in part by Purdue Pharma. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Damon Arendelle. Magic 
is a wonder, is a mystery unsolved, when in the hands of a man who matches his white gloves pulling a white rabbit out of a black hat. When it's just tricks pulled out of thin air, we love to love magic. But when it is holy, when it is sacred, we suddenly fear that these tricks performed by woman have made our God disappear. Fear it so much we write songs about it. I've got a black magic woman, got me so blind I can't see that she's a black magic woman. She's trying to make a devil out of me. Her name was Tichuba, delicate honeyed word on the tip of teeth and tongue, feels like origami and sounds like a prayer, like a plea for help when breath has almost left the body, a last Hail Mary you might send from your lips because your hands are tied behind your back and all you can hope for is to appeal to the humanity of your captors. But that requires your captors to see you as human, a wholly different kind of magic, which is how she got here in the first place. Echoed voices in the night, she's a restless spirit on an endless flight. See how high she flies, witchy woman. She got the moon in her eye. Tichuba, a relatively unknown legend, a slate wiped clean by his story. Brown-skinned enslaved woman, a recipe for anonymity. And yet, there she was at the beginning trying to heal the afflicted two young girls she thought were possessed. You look at the center of all things and you will often find a brown-skinned woman uplifting everyone and everything. I know you want to love her. Let me tell you, brother, she's been sleeping in the devil's bed. And there's some rumors going round. Someone's underground. She can rock you in the nighttime till your skin turns red. Who did you pray to, Tichuba? Were you granted breath enough for a wish or a prayer? To beg forgiveness or salvation, did anyone in their piety pray for you? As a child, you are never the captain of your own ship. Pray to where the riptide pulled you, Arawak girl stolen from your village to the island of Barbados, sold into slavery and brought to the northeastern shores of what would soon become America. There was no magic to protect your childhood. Caught brown-handed and beaten into a confession as false as their empathy by your enslaver. No one ever wondered 
if you were really a witch, why didn't you save yourself or free yourself? You were trying to save them the only way you knew. Damned if you don't, and damned if you do, I wonder who Tichuba prayed to. They called you witch, called you evil, casting blame like broken glass while never looking into a mirror, but isn't that the greatest magic trick? How they made both your humanity and their own disappear. They cast stones, so she cast some too. On the witness stand, she prayed on their fear and sowed it like seeds. Then she fed them her stories and watched the vines and flowers grow thick enough to strangle and poison and suffocate. Tichuba gave the longest of all the testimonies in the Salem witch trials and created a whole ensemble for her play. Tichuba gave the people what they wanted. A tall, white-haired man in a dark coat accompanied by an array of beasts. A black dog, a red cat, a hog, a winged, two-legged creature with the face of a woman. The devil made me do it, said he'd kill me if I didn't. Confessions were rare, and so were details, making her tale and perspective necessary. She gave herself value. And so the brown-skinned witch, who had conversed with the devil, sat in jail for 15 months, the first to confess and the last to be released. The brown-skinned witch, with no magic of her own, who was never hanged and never drowned, walked out of the villager's jail and out of history. You got your spell on me, baby. You got your spell on me, turning my heart into stone. Tichuba, magic woman, I just can't leave you alone. Damon Darrandell. Go in wind, go 
who was my friend in college and in afterlife, I can speak only with extreme terror. A terror that first gained its acute form more than 17 years ago, when we were in the third year of our studies at the Miskatonic University Medical School in Arkham. His wild theories on the nature of death and the possibility of overcoming it artificially were widely ridiculed by the faculty and by his fellow students, but the wonder and diabolism of his experiments fascinated me utterly. Holding that all life is a chemical and physical process and that the so-called soul is a myth, I believe that artificial reanimation of the dead depends only on the condition of the tissues. Unless actual decomposition has set in, a corpse fully equipped with organs may, with suitable measures, be set going again in the particular fashion known as life. So you believe that the nature of life is Essentially mechanistic? Precisely! And I am convinced I will discover the means for reanimating the organic machinery of mankind by calculated chemical reaction after the failure of natural processes. Herbert! My friend, are you in earnest? I have already experimented with various animating solutions, killing and treating rabbits, guinea pigs, cats, dogs, and monkeys. I actually obtained signs of life in animals supposedly dead. It soon became clear that he would require more varied animal subjects for further and more specialized progress. I realize, of course, even a short period of death may be apt to cause impairment to psychic or intellectual life. The slight deterioration of brain cells. Exactly. I had hoped to find a reagent which would restore vitality before the actual advent of death, but observe. Even when the guinea pig has been freshly killed, and my solution is... Just one more moment. Ah, there now. My solution is, is injected into the blood immediately after the extinction of life. There. You see? The natural and artificial life motions are compatible. It's uncanny, Herbert. It's a miracle. It's not a miracle. It's science. It was not long after that West confided in me his resolution to get fresh human bodies in some manner and continue in secret the experiments he could no longer perform openly. But where to procure the anatomical specimens? The potter's field. Well, why not the cemetery of Christ Church? The obvious quality Everyone of the- Everyone buried in Christ Church is embalmed. That would be ruinous to the research. Oh, yes, of course. The potter's field, then. I was by this time his active and enthralled assistant and helped him make all his decisions, not only concerning the source of bodies, but concerning a suitable place for our Loathsome work. It was I who thought of the deserted Chapman farmhouse beyond Meadow Hill. It's far from any road and in sight of no other house. Here we are. 
The ground floor can be fitted as an operating room. We, we can borrow from the college. Uh, what we can't borrow from the college, I'll purchase anonymously in Boston. We should be able to gather our equipment undetected, save to expert eyes. If we are discovered, well, this whole enterprise is, is merely a chemical laboratory. Agreed? Agreed. Disposing of bodies was always a nuisance. Even the small guinea pig bodies from early experiments in the boarding house. At the college, we used an incinerator, but the apparatus was too costly for our unauthorized laboratory. So we obtained spades and picks for the many burials we should have to make in the cellar. A copy of the Times, please. We followed the local death notices like ghouls, for our specimens demanded particular qualities. What we want is a corpse interred soon after death and without artificial preservation. Preferably free from malforming disease and certainly with all organs present. Accident victim would be our best hope. Not for many weeks did we hear anything suitable. The college had first choice in every case on corpses for teaching purposes. In the end though, luck favored us for one day. Aha! Here we are. And most ideal case in the potter's field. An otherwise healthy young cleaning woman from the university drowned only yesterday in Summer's Pond and buried at the town's expense without delay or embalming. That afternoon, we found the new grave and determined to begin work soon after midnight. It was a repulsive task that we undertook in the bleak small hours. Even though we lacked at that time the special horror of graveyards which later experiences brought to us. Right here. Aha! The process of unearthing was slow and sordid. It might have been gruesomely poetical if we had been artists instead of scientists. Ah! Aha! Uh-huh. Hold the lantern here, will you? That's it? Uh-huh, yes. Quickly now. Hold, hold this. I'll, I'll climb down. <clears throat> he removed the lid, dragging out and propping up the contents. I reached down and hauled the contents out of the grave. The affair made us rather nervous, especially the stiff form and vacant face of our first trophy. Let's get her in the canvas bag. We then managed to remove all traces of our visit. When we had patted down the last shovelful of earth, we set out with the specimen for the old Chapman place beyond Meadow Hill. On the improvised dissecting table in the old farmhouse, by the light of the powerful acetylene lamp, she, or rather it, was not very spectral looking. Now, with its eyes closed, the specimen looked more asleep than dead. We had at last... What West had always longed for. A real dead body of the ideal kind, ready for my solution, prepared especially for human use. We knew that there was scarcely a chance for anything like complete success and could not avoid hideous fears at possible grotesque results of partial animation. I myself still held some curious notions about the traditional soul of man and felt an awe at the secrets that might be told by one returning from the dead. A larger specimen will require a greater quantity of fluid. Move the light so I can see the vein in its arm. Here we go. Now, bind the incision. Hurry. 
surely. Good. Now we must be patient. The waiting was agonizing. Every now and then, West applied his stethoscope to the specimen and bore the negative results philosophically. After about three quarters of an hour, well... Just, just a moment. No. Nothing. Solution is obviously inadequate. We will have to make the adjustments to the formula immediately if we want to make another attempt tonight. Understood. I have the lamp. So we left our silent guest on the slab in the dark and bent every energy to the mixing of a new solution in the adjacent laboratory, supervised by West with an almost fanatical care. The awful event was very sudden and wholly unexpected. I was pouring something from one test tube to another, and West was busy over the alcohol lamp, when from the pitch black room we had left, there burst the most appalling and demonic succession of cries that either of us had ever heard. Not more unutterable could have been the chaos of hellish sound if the pit itself had opened to release the agony of the damned, for in one inconceivable cacophony was centered all the supernal terror and unnatural despair of animate nature. Without a thought, we left the nearest window like stricken animals, overturning the burning lamp, vaulting madly into the starred abyss of the rural night. I think we both shouted and screamed as we stumbled frantically towards the town. We managed to get to West's room, where we whispered until dawn, calming ourselves a little. With rational theories and plans for investigation, so that we could sleep. But that evening, two items appeared in the paper, wholly unrelated, made it again impossible for us to sleep. The old deserted Chapman house had inexplicably burned to an amorphous heap of ashes. That we could understand because of the upset lamp. But this we could not understand. An attempt had been made to disturb a new grave in the potter's field, as if by futile and spadeless clawing at the earth. The body had not been quite fresh enough. A body must be very fresh indeed. It would have been better if we could have known it was underground. For West could never afterward be able to shake off no. the maddening sensation no, of no. being hunted. No, 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 no. no. And for the next 17 years, Herbert West would look frequently over his shoulder and complain of footsteps behind him. Notice that Leslie is Irish, right? But you might not know that my mother was Irish, so I'm Irish on my mother's side and Jewish on my father's side, which is unfortunate because when I drink, I feel guilty. 
a little ditty she called the Irish Ballad. She would sing this to me on an October night and we do it as a sing-along. You'll find that there's a refrain in here and you'll recognize it. You might want to come on in and if you want to, there's no feckin' way we can stop you now, is there? And here it is. About a maid I sing a song, sing rickety-tickety-tin. Rickety-tickety-tin. Ha-ha! About a maid I sing a song who didn't have her family long. Not only did she do them wrong, she did every one of them in. Them in. She did every one of them in. <clears throat> one morning in a fit of pique, sing rickety tickety ten alias. That's good. One morning in a fit of pique, she drowned her father in the creek. The water tasted bad for a week And we had to make do with gin With gin We had to make do with gin <laughs> You like this one Her mother she could never stand Sing rickety tickety ten alias That's good Her mother she could never stand Where's my soup? And so a cyanide soup she planned the mother died with the spoon in her hand. And her face in a hideous grin, a grin, her face in a hideous grin. She set her sister's hair on fire, rickety-tickety-tin. She set her sister's hair on fire. And as the smoke and flames grew higher, She danced around the funeral pyre. Playing the violin, Olin, a playing the violin. Ah, yes. She waited her brother down with stones, rickety tickety ten. She waited her brother down with stones. What the? And sent him off to Davy Jones. All they ever found were some bones. And occasional pieces of skin. Of skin. Occasional pieces of skin. Right? One day when she had nothing to do, rickety tickety tin. One day when she had nothing to do. What you doing? Can I come? Can I, can I, can I? She cut her baby brother in two. <laughs> and served him up as an Irish stew. In. Was in. Invited the neighbors in. <laughs> it was coming up. And when at last the police came by, rickety tickety tin. And when at last the police came by, come on, put your hands up. Her little prank she did not deny. To do so she would have had to lie. 
lion she knew was a sin. A sin. A lion she knew was a sin. My mournful tale I won't prolong. Sing rickety tickety tin. My mournful tale I won't prolong. And if you do not enjoy my song, you've yourselves to blame if it's too long. You should never have let us begin. Begin. You should never have let us begin. In tonight's episode, the Sandbox Radio players were Imogen Love Yadira Frank Lawler Eric Jensen Matthew Posner Tracy Michelle Hughes Marty Zekan Jason Marr Dan Tierney Jill Snydermar Bob Williams Lisa Holland Richard Simon. And I'm your host for Sandbox Radio, Leslie Law. Please give it up for our special guest, Teresa Holmes and Ed Keys. Lisa Hopper. And the wonderful Damon Chris Monroe on drums! Dave Pascal on the bass! Dave Marion on the trombone! And on the keys, Mastro, our maestro and composer, Jose Juicy Gonzalez. Witch Hunt was written by Scott Augustin, Brendan Healy, Elizabeth Heffron, H.P. Lovecraft, Peggy Platt and Anita Montgomery. We want to thank Town Hall as always for being our home with a special shout out to Bruno, Shane, Ashley, Shirley, and most especially to our dear friend and champion, Ware Harmon. We love you. Our stage managers were Susie Butler and Jessalie Miranda. And the show was mixed by Mo Preminger and recorded by Brian Moynihan. bringing out our lyric cards. Thank you, Lisa and Marta, because now is the time in the show when we always love for you to sing along. You probably picked up the tune. Ready? Here we go.
Hunt was recorded in front of a live audience at Town Hall Seattle on October 13, 2019. The live show was sound engineered by Mo Provencher, recorded by Brian Moynihan, and this podcast was mixed by Dave Pascal. Like what you hear? Subscribe to the podcast of our show in your favorite podcatcher and leave a review to help others find us if you would. Stream full episodes, find artist credits, live show information, and learn how to become a sustaining donor of Sandbox Radio at sandboxradio.org. I'm your host, Leslie Law, and on behalf of co-producer Richard Zyman and all of us here at Sandbox Radio, thanks for listening.